Welcome to Many Talks Podcast, talking all business, entrepreneurship, property development, finance, and investments. Hi, Reese Many here from Many Talks. I joined with Chris Madlin from Magna Global and Oliver Mason. So we've got CEO Chris Madlin, Oliver Mason, Land Acquisition Director globally. Guys, thanks for coming on. Hi, Reese. Thanks for having us. No problem. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So, guys, what we're going to do just just for the for the listeners who have listened before, we've had other um, interviews before yourself. Just to let our listeners know what you do, where you've come from. You know, you're, you're award-winning developers right now. You've won many awards. We've teamed up with you personally, Hunter Jones. More importantly, before we talk about the project and what you've done with Magna, I'd like to talk about where you've come from and how you've got to where you are today. So if we start with, with Chris and, and Oliver, you go after if you don't mind, where, how you started, how you met, so from when you was at school right up till today. Cool, okay, so uh, I think Ollie will probably cut in a bit as we go through this. Yep. Um, so it's quite interesting. So Ollie and I met when we were seven and nine years old. We actually uh, we met at a Saturday drama school Okay. because our parents thought it'd be good to do uh, acting. Okay. Even though we were both quite rubbish actors, where well, you thought you were quite good at it, didn't you? Well, personally, yeah, I, th- I still think I am a good actor, but there we go. Yeah, I, I don't know, I'll, I'll be the judge of that, it wasn't so good. So, um, yeah, anyway, we, we were quite rubbish, and we ended up playing the uh, the pantomime cow, actually. Okay. Uh, that's the only part we were able to get the part of, so we did that. I was the front of the cow, hence why I'm the CEO of the business. And uh, Ollie was the back of the cow, he's the engine room, he gets all the deals in. So okay. yeah, so that's how we met. Uh, grew up in um, a town called Farnham in Surrey, and we were friends. Uh, we've been friends for Christ. Well, I'm 33 now. Ollie's 31. So yeah, many many years now. Most of our lives. Yeah. Most of our lives. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, grew up. I went to a, I went to a private school. Uh, Ollie went to a state school. I left that school when I was 15, out of choice. Didn't really get on with it. Um, got on with things and left school at sort of 15, 16 years old. Um, went straight into labouring jobs, doing building work. Did, did you work together when you when you left school, or was that formed later on? Not straight away. No. Okay. No, so you we, both we, went your separate ways. You knew each other. Yeah. But you both you both entered the world of working separately. Well, I, I actually had a go at college okay uh, which was interesting so I uh, when you I'll, say you had a go of college I had a go at it yeah, at yeah. It. Okay. I had a go at it yeah um, and because I, I after being a drama school I, I did uh, drama for GCSEs as well okay. a, a, alongside business <clears throat> and um, it was always my ambition to go into Hollywood that was okay. that was my ambition so I wanted to be a, a film director um, you didn't actually want to be an actor like Brad Pitt. No, because he was rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just thought I wanted to be. Uh, you know, I was always ambitious. I wanted to get to the top, so I was just thought, let's go to college, let's do media, let's learn about film. And but, eg, of uh, I've famously been quoted by eg okay. by saying I, I, I left school wanting to be to go to Hollywood, and I ended up becoming a builder. <laughs> so that's kind of what happened. I, I, I dropped out of college um, because I just didn't really get on with the, the sort of structure of the learning. Just just going back to that, because a lot of my listeners and a, a lot of followers that we've got, you know, are either looking at that decision to go to college, mm. take A-levels, drop out of school. It's funny, a lot of entrepreneurs that we've interviewed and we've spoke to have different views on college in enhancing yourself. 
what, what, what do you make of college? What, what do you think of it? Is it is it a worthwhile exercise? Or? I think it, it all depends if you whether you know what you want to do, mm. right? So if you know what you want to do mm. and you're 100% sure, I think college is great. I think if you're not quite sure what you want to do, it's almost best to, I think, go out there and try and, you know, find your way, start to make a bit of money, see what you enjoy. And then, you know, these days there's so many further learnings that you can do, whether it's, you know, going back to university or, you know, I, I, I looked at going back to university and doing an MBA a little while ago. Mm. I decided it pro- probably wasn't worth my time okay. um, because of where I was in business. But um, there's always opportunities to go back and study. And I think you don't really know who you are or what you want to do until you're, you know, mid to late 20s. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, And, yeah. you know, there's so many opportunities to go back to university after that. So I think... So your advice would be if you're not sure what you want to do, take action and try something I think and yeah. you can always go back and yeah. recoup the benefits after if you want to go and excel at that one thing I mean let's college. face it you, you miss all the shots you don't take at the end of the day yep. so if you know this it's not going to hurt you going to college so mm. if you want to go to college so you know depends what you want to do study bit I, I, I tell my uh, stepson to um, you know he's he's approaching GCSEs now and I've told him to do business he's doing art because he's yeah. doing a cr- bit of creative and a bit okay. of uh, business I think that's a good mix and I've said to him you know I think going to going to college and doing a business course is, is a good way to go it's mm. a solid foundation okay. so I think there's there's certainly nothing wrong with going going and getting a solid foundation but it doesn't mean that when you leave that's exactly what you've yeah, got what to go you're and do stick to. yeah okay. exactly I yeah. think I think one of the things I always say I do a lot of uh, talks on like uh, property yep. mindset motivation yep. like I used to do quite a lot last year well I think we've, we've both spoke we're, we're both big into to personal development yeah aren't we? So. yeah and one, one, of, one of the mentors who obviously I wasn't able to meet because he's now dead but Jim Rowan who I listened yep. a lot to said you know a, a formal education will make you a living however a self-education can make you a fortune correct and yeah. I've got to say like since dropping out of school at 15, 16 uh, having a stringing different jobs you know trying different things always found myself going back to the building site it wasn't until I dedicated my life to a series of like serious learning mm. and reading books you know on business personal development sales mm. uh, multiple different types of trainings finance banking construction everything that I needed to learn about was when I really started to take on board the learning so I think that that self-education but at the end of the day, as Ollie said, you know, there's there's numerous different courses you can do. But I mean, if you know, if you want to be a doctor, if you want to be a lawyer, if you've got hell bent path set on where you want to go and do, then that's fine. I think entrepreneurs always seem to find their own way through. Correct. You know? yeah. And uh, well, I mean, would you believe with me uh, the, the same as me? We're we're both similar. You, you you dropped out of school at 15, similar age to myself. That that working on yourself, that personal development feels a lot better than a teacher telling you what to do would you oh. you, you you got the same vibe as school for as, as i have yeah yeah 100 percent. yeah because yeah. at the end of the day you're you know the master of your own destiny that's then. correct and you have to you have to make sure you're getting the learnings you know that you do i mean even even now i've done I've, you know i've spent the last week and a half reading two different books yeah nearly finished one halfway through the other you know still you know avidly reading books mm. trying to do you know, 50 trying to educate and, and move year. yourself yeah. forward yeah definitely yeah. you just got to constantly do it and also not just that you know where, where you can reinvest in some of your money into um, you know mentorship programs mm. uh, different people you know online courses there's so much stuff's changed now the world of like iPhones and other you know devices you can get hold of which would give you information there's so much to get now well it's Whereas going back to our last our last interview um, with, with Mark Wright he said you know Google and YouTube you, you can find anything yeah. you, you can teach yourself 
and teaching yourself is is the way forward and, and you're you're backing that up as well so for for the listeners we we said that we'd bring you tips i think that's a, a good tip you know you've heard it from three serial entrepreneurs three business owners that have started from scratch you know is take action, work on yourself, and and make things happen. But move, moving back, guys, um, just just to, to go back to where it was. So, you, you you both met at drama school. Um, you both then left school, and and you both weren't working together then. You was working separately on building sites. Was, was you both builders in the construction business? Yeah, or so, well, so basically, we was, I, was, I was more of a labourer. Okay, uh, I started as a labourer. I was doing a uh, foundation drilling, piling, uh, underpinning of like structures, drainage. Yeah. So I was in the ground, hands, you know, in the dirt every day. Okay. Uh, real hard, hard. So working rough. from the bottom. Yeah, working from the bottom. Yeah, literally. Learning yeah. how to do everything. Yeah, learn, yeah, learning with substructure. Then you worked your way up to the damp proof course, and you know, late in our career, we learned how to build from DPC upwards, roof, structure, internals. You know, mm. but, and we'll get into that. But I mean, yeah, I started off with that. So that was. But the main thing is, Reese, like it was, it was hard physical work. Yeah. You know, and I, and I say to a lot of people, I say, you know, people come and work in an office job, like they go, oh, I've had a hard day. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> when you go out at like six in the morning on site and the spade's frozen in the ground from the night before, or you try and dig the ground and yep. it's like digging into like solid concrete, and you've got to dig through that for like an hour before you get into the softer stuff to keep digging your trench. That's hard work, you know. Yeah. Makes you a man. Makes yeah. you tough, you know. And it, I think it, a lot and it learns. Uh, it teaches you a lot. It does, yeah. And I think I think a lot of these people these days have gone a bit. <laughs> Off, to be honest, it might sound a bit, a bit harsh. I think you know, as well, it's, it's safe to say that when when you uh, when you do work on a building site, the people that are above you that are managing you, they're tough. Yeah. So you're kind of getting this education by them. They're of discipline. Of, it, discipline. Yeah. They're yeah. they're you know if you don't like my old boss uh, Duncan, if I didn't do something right, I knew I was going to get you know I was going to get a kind of uh, telling off, and it, you know, it was. Uh, you know, it was it was good for me. Yeah, it was good for me. Te- as, teach as you man. to to work exactly, directly yeah. from learning from the from the ground up. So after that, how ha- how did the partnership form? So basically, we uh, we so Ollie was doing a lot of uh, hard landscaping work. So I was doing a lot of the ground works. Mm. And you know, as you grow through your teenage years, you know, you end up. You know, we both got. I suppose we can. You know say we were kind of hanging around a bit with the wrong crowd yep, you know okay. we weren't we weren't with the the a-grade students at oxford if you if you yep. if you like you know hanging around the local skate park and in the town and doing our sort of our bit of laboring jobs mm. and all the rest of it anyway we uh we, we both kind of had enough of the, of the bad crowd and we and we bumped into each other down the gym and i said to all you know what you're up to so i'm doing a lot of tie boxing i've been lifting weights i said look it's good to catch up with you again i've seen you around the town on a friday saturday night kind of thing but let's do some training together so we start lifting weights together mm. Um, when we're about 17, 18 sort of years old, and we said, look, actually, look, you know, you're doing this labouring, I'm doing this labouring. Seems silly just changing our time for money every day. Yeah. Why don't we? Why don't we go and start our own thing? Because both the bosses we was working for at the time were only a few years older, and we thought, well, they've got a pickup truck and they got a spade and a cement mixer. Yeah. Like we can do this stuff. It's yeah. Not rocket science. In fact, we're actually running the jobs ourselves. Yeah. So why don't we just start our own business? So so we did. Just basically a simple little uh, sole trading groundworks business, going around doing driveways, patios fencing you know anything drainage systems mm. whatever you know a bit of block paving tarmacking anything we could do so we could earn our wage but what we did was we learned the concept of leverage okay and this is really important for the listeners especially people starting out leverage is the most fundamental uh, accelerant that you can put into a business okay now what we had read at the time so we just started reading some early books like books like rich dad poor dad yep, reading okay. about leverage yeah we knew nothing about financial leverage mm. or other people's time other people's money what we had was leverage we bought a truck 
which tipped up at the back. So what we did in the day, we put our building materials in it, went to Juicing and Builders Merchants, yep, got our yep. stuff, did our building, and then in the evening we put an advertisement in the uh, in the paper doing rubbish clearance. So in the summer and autumn evenings, we'd drive around and we'd go and collect people's rubbish okay. till late into so the night. So you had two forms of yeah, income. Yeah, exactly, and okay. we leveraged our lorry, because then we could go and tip the rubbish out in the dump in the morning and yep. load it up with stuff. So, so that was our leverage. It wasn't until later in our career we really started to understand the forms of leverage, okay. and then financial leverage. Mm. And, and that's so. So going back there, what was the steps after that? The steps from you know you you've got your your own truck, you're working. This is at what eighteen, nineteen years of age. This is early twenties. Early twenties. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, we, we knocked around in the building sites doing that for. Was a that so, was years. that a successful business? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, yeah. doing what yeah. we were doing. But we were it was equally proportionately rewarded to the amount of hours we were inputting into it yeah, yeah we were we were making making a good wage for ourselves but we weren't creating much value we weren't creating much business value because we hadn't really i mean we we just started to properly work on ourselves like books wise and yeah. learning about business properly so would you say um, that was really your first test or, or your first taste of entrepreneurship? I'd Definitely, say, yeah. yeah. I mean, what, what we were focused on a lot of the time was actually doing the next thing in, in the building industry, for instance. Like, we started off doing groundworks, and then we wanted to build a, a whole driveway, then we wanted to build a garage, then we wanted to build a house, and that's what how we saw the progression. Right? Okay. We, we thought the money would follow after that. Ollie always used to say, we need to build these big houses. You know, like, and that's where the money would be. Yeah, you know, yeah. that would buy us our yacht one day or yeah. a plane or something. You know? Yeah, because we we had the ambition there. The ambition was always there, but it's not always easy to see the route. So. No, that's but, right. we, but we always had it in our in our head. This might sound really odd for listeners thinking two two blokes, nineteen, twenty, twenty one years old, driving around. Uh, uh, I won't call it that. Uh, a bit of a dodgy building van. Yeah, you know, doing, doing their paving and that. Ollie and I always used to say to each other every day, we got a global ambition. We're mm. gonna build a global empire. That was that was always our our mantra. We yeah. said it every day. So one So you day, had a plan, you had a vision. Yeah, yeah. correct. Yeah, we always said that. You mm. know? It's not it's it, looking back, it's not changed since day one really. Yeah. No, so w- w- would you say, going back to young entrepreneurs out there, and, and property investors, you know, having goals and targets is very important 100%. to 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 everybody. So yeah, that'd be, that'd be absolutely fun. Yeah, I think I think higher than that starts with a bit of, with a vision, really. Yeah, yeah. a vision so with with them targets. Well, yeah, so you know vi- what you've got to do every day. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Your, vision, your big goal. Your vision links in, but before Ollie says what he wants to say, let me just interject yep. and say that the, the quote that I like the most, which is, "When the why is strong enough, the how shows up." Mm. So our why was a burning desire. Yeah, and you explain about vision. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, Chris talk, talks about the burning desire. I mean, we we forged that over years of working together mm. as well, because all you know on the building site, you you got two guys on the building site, we, you know, and we had we had some employees as well, and uh, we just used to talk about it all day long. Yeah, and it was over those couple of years that we first started out that we really forged that vision of where we wanted to be, what we wanted to do. Um, and then once you got that strong vision, then you set your goals and then you have your your tasks. So you know we we do all that. You know now we do that. We we always clarifying our vision and you know re re looking at our goals and our tasks. What yep. do we need to do to move forward? Spent this Saturday just gone doing it. Both yep. sat in the office in Mayfair. Spent a good morning going through it, going through our goals, going through our purpose, going through our corporate goals. What's our short term goals, long term goals? You know, checking in. Are we still in line? Still, yeah. are you still on track? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. On track. Yeah, yeah. So you've always got to be doing that. You know, and from from where where we're at now, obviously we we haven't really gone on to the form the when you formed Magna Group, but still talking about up to where you was. 
Was there anything that that you would change in that that time frame that if you if you could go back, would you change anything, I or is all of that what, isn't it? all of that what you done got you to where you are now? I'd I'd love to say oh I'd go back and I'd I'd do an MBA and I'd like get into finance earlier, but to be fair. I might not be who I am today, so yeah. it's very difficult, isn't it? To, mm, hindsight's sure. twenty twenty. You know, yeah. we can always go back and say we'll improve things, but actually, I'm very happy with where I am today and who I am. So yeah. I don't think I'd change it. Okay. Yeah, best best thing you can get is a self education. Though when you when you when you lose your own money or yeah. you put time in something, you get screwed over and stuff. It just makes you sharper and wiser. Of course, you know, I think if we like, could have started the development thing earlier got out of construction yeah. a bit quicker yeah. so when did when did you start so we're, we're at now you've done your construction you're working your construction business when when did you start actually doing your developments well i suppose i suppose if we if we wind back about nine ten years ago yeah when we were like sort of early early 20s mm. um like i had i had a bit of a what i'd call like a, a dull moment in my life okay so i'd read all the books well what i thought i'd had I'd yeah. read about 30 books i thought yeah i've read rich dad poor dad thinking grow rich think big and kick ass in business and life by donald trump you know i've read all the trump books yeah, I thought, yeah. you know this guy's built all these towers and that what's applicable to us you know i've read, heard about options and air rights and all this stuff mm. blah blah you know thinking well what's applicable i'm putting a fence up today or i'm building someone's garage you know but still in your brain you want to get there but i suppose i had a bit of a, a bit of a, a, a low moment where kind of we'd, we'd built up a bit of a business but we weren't seeing progression okay and ollie went away and ollie said right it's time to like turn the notch up again on our education and i was actually a bit standoffish this is quite an important point for listeners like I was getting to a point where I was like, "Look, we're doing the building stuff. I can't, I can't see a, a light at the end of the tunnel. I just seem like we're just getting in the builders' van every day, doing the same thing. We can only get so much money in, mm. you know. And you're chasing the economy as well. Bear in mind, this was like in 2008, as you know, the market's starting to go down the drain. 2009, it was tough. And he said, "Look, you know, we need to really get involved in property investing." And he said, "That's well, you know, you want to become a millionaire, you want to do this." He said, "Look, got some courses to go on and stuff." But I was quite resentful, wasn't I? I was like. I yeah, I mean, had a for, blockage. We, 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 when we read Rich Dad Poor Dad, we mm. learned about investing. So it wasn't like it was anything new, but it's very difficult to go from reading the book to actually implementing it. Um, and what I did was I, I went out there and I just immersed myself in more research and learning. And I did a few courses on investing in property and, you know, land trading and all this kind of stuff. And it kind of opened my mind to sort of getting us out of the building because building contracting is quite a risky business you know yeah yeah very cyclical yeah it's very cyclical there's lots of risk in there the profits aren't that big the margins so what I learned is let's go and focus on something that is actually going to make us a good return on our time as well as investment so you know we're every day we were getting our builders van like you said and we were making good money but it was only ever really just a wage yeah Um, and what I what 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 I went to Chris and said was look we need to start buying some properties it's you know 2008 2009 there's some good deals out there you know we we hadn't been affected by the crash so to speak so apart from work drying up which is probably a blessing in disguise to be fair for us so we were now looking at right there's there's all these properties that have you know almost available a good price yeah they've halved in value they're available at a good price Mm. we can pick them up we can turn them into hmos and rent out the rooms you know we can pin an extension on the side we knew how to build so that wasn't our our issue we were now getting our mindset into the the investing side of the the business which really got us thinking you know and I I managed to convince Chris after a bit of a 
hard Which, slog yeah. to uh, to get involved in it. So yeah, it was cool. when I discovered uh, Ollie came back and said because I've read about options, but I suppose because I hadn't seen them in a first-hand applicable yeah. like stance of seeing an option. Mm. I didn't really think it was true, you know. And Ollie said, "Look, you can go and buy a house for a pound on an option contract." And I was just like, "That's just like rubbish what they're teaching you on this weekend course." He said, "No, no, come to the weekend course." I said, "No, they're brainwashing you. Just make you get your credit card out and put some more debt on." Learning. Well, they did. They uh, did. To be fair, I did get my credit card out. Yeah. It was the best money I ever spent. So. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, money invested in yourself, which we've now spent probably hundreds of thousands of pounds on our self education. And development is is the best. So I was having a bit of a weird time in my life, and then I, I you know I listened to all and said, yeah, let's let's do it. So, you know, one thing we had to start doing was learning how to raise capital. Yeah. And the first thing you got to do really is learn learn how to sell. Yeah. You really need to learn how to sell. Learning from some really good people at the minute in the industry about how to sell, but did, sales was so key. Did you buy? You know, you you said that you was looking at them properties 2009, 2000, uh, 2008, 2009. Did you? Is that how you started buying properties together? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a little, so little, bit, little bit late, it's probably 2011 or so. Yeah. Yeah. So you yeah, started we, buying buy-to-lets? Yeah, we, we got a bit of capital together, and okay. then we started buying buy-to-lets, and we were renting the rooms out. Okay, so, so like HMOs. Yeah, 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 exactly. So the issue with that was that we found, is we, we got cracking on that, and we our vision has always been quite big, so we said... A thousand homes. I think, yeah, we, we said, oh, we're going to go and get a thousand properties, right? Because okay. we just thought, we've got to set a big goal. Um, then, and we, then, then we worked back the mathematics on a spreadsheet and a whiteboard, and we were like, "We've got to be buying like." Well, no, we worked out if we just had to own one percent of yeah. Hull. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that <laughs> was we it. we could have got there. So <laughs> yeah. like, for me, I kind of thought this is doable. It was like but, 80, eighty-five. But the reality, yeah, the reality actually was was a lot different. You know? Yeah, so it was a. We went through a huge learning curve. You know, like Chris said, we we had to learn how to raise money for mortgages, and yeah, you know, also we Equity were raising capital, yeah. yeah, we were raising money for deposits as well, and. Giving investors returns, so that that was good and exciting, but and and also it was the start of building a brand as well. Yes, yeah. because when you're building a little job in construction business, as long as you can have any old name, you can have a right old load of garbage as your logo, mm. and people people will buy it. They, yeah, they don't yeah. really care. They just say, "Let me speak to your last customer." Yeah, they did a good job. All right, we'll do it's one a too. Referral, it's yeah. only a thirty grand drive. You know, it'd be all right. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of pounds. Now we're talking about hundreds of millions of pounds of yeah. investment. Um, and also, some of the a lot of the people we met actually was the key to the next stage. So it wasn't actually the the buying the property or the or the learning. It was the network that we gained from yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, That's we really were everywhere. Yeah. We were network. We were running around like two crazies, you know, like networking, networking events we, we and things like that. Speaking people, we, yeah. we put fifty five thousand miles on my old Nissan three fifty Z in just over twelve months. Networking. So you're putting yourself out there, yeah. networking, yeah. letting people know but about who you are. In, in terms of education, because it had a loud exhaust on it, what we did, we put our Bose noise cancelling earphones on, I'd look at Ollie and we'd both start like play on a thing and then we'd drive for like two hours <laughs> and we'd learn some information. Learn, learning learning and driving at the same time. Yeah, that's so what it's about. Ju- just going back, probably more, more for Ollie as um, the head of global acquisitions, what kind of research now do you do on large developments, I suppose you get a lot of deals coming to you on a daily basis. How yeah. do, do you pick winners? So, it's not an exact science. Okay. I mean, you've got the investment fundamentals underneath each deal, but it takes, you know, this way it takes some time to get your kind of, uh, you know, your, your feel for it and your gut feel. Yeah, and that does that. That kind of increases over over the number of years, which is why for us it was good to start from buying investment properties. Yeah, we we'll learn how to build, start buying investment properties. Then we started doing a bit of land 
trading and getting planning so we learned that and then we started developing so mm. we'd really gone through the whole cycle you know we'd learned from the ground up so yeah. it was easy for us to go around and look at a property and go this is what needs doing to it um, seeing that you could add value to that property exactly yeah so so we we really started from a place of trying to add value mm. and that's exactly what we do today we we only really get into a deal if we can add a lot of value okay so we will never buy something if it's just got a base margin so we won't just go into a deal saying right I'm, we're going to buy this deal we're going to develop it we're going to sell the flats and we're going to make 15 20 percent that's not the business we're in we're in okay. the business of can we make 20, 30, 40% on investment? Okay, yeah. Which is, which is good. This part is good for, for our listeners and our subscribers um, in in many talks, but also in um, Hunter Jones, which is which is my company, which I'm the CEO of, as, as, as you're well aware. We've teamed up with Magna. Um, we're raising funds through our existing database and high net worth and sophisticated investors and property investors that are out there. Um, so it's good for our our listeners and our investors to to hear that from you that you know you won't go into deals or unless you know that you can add a good level of value to that development to make it worthwhile. Definitely, yeah. yeah I mean, well, we we will always look to increase the value. Yeah, and well, it's you know it's all about being able to weed those deals out quickly because a lot yeah. of stuff comes to us. And I, I've got you know we got guys that work for us now that analyse deals all day long. And it's up to me to look at a deal and go, actually, this looks good. Mm. And it's, it's they're few and far between. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be a volume business doing, you know, a deal every month. That's so is, is it fair to say to to property investors that are looking, um, that a lot of deals don't fit the criteria for you to take on and for Hunter Jones to introduce Definitely. them deals? I mean, look, I I. Uh, Oh, so if they don't fit us if they don't fit so yeah it's reassuring for investors to know that you you don't just bring something to market that you think will work you you do a lot of background research yeah. to make sure that it will work oh 100 percent. yeah i mean look we uh we have made mistakes in the past yeah um well, you we, learn from mistakes exactly right? yeah and you know we, we know that from coming from construction, we know construction is risk. Yeah. So there's no way that I'm going to go and build 20, 30 flats with a 15, 10, 15% margin, mm. you know, or, or even a 20% margin because, you know, a couple of things go wrong and, and that's kind of, you know, potentially wiped out. So, you know, for us, it's all about mitigating risk and adding value. And I think I'm happy turning down deals. And it takes a while to get your head around that because yeah. being an entrepreneur and a businessman, you want to do deals. You want everything, yeah. Yeah. That's how you make money, um, but we're not Barclay Homes. We don't. We're not a volume house builder. We're a, a bespoke specialist. Yeah, and that's exactly where we make mo- our money is by being creative on deals. Looking at how can we enhance the planning? How can we see an angle that no one else has seen on the deal? And it's, it's fair to say the majority of the stuff that you've done's been around the London commuter belt market. Is Today, is that fair to, to say today? today? Yeah, yeah, today, especially yeah. the Western London community. Yeah. And, and how's that changed in the last five years, that, that particular area? What have you seen? And I think it's got a lot more competitive development-wise. Okay. Um, there's not a lot of stock around in that area. Mm. I mean, if any, anyone who's been to Surrey, Hampshire, Berkshire, you know, I mean, there's, there's certain sort of pockets of, of development, but 
you know, I'd probably say we're numbers-wise probably Surrey's biggest developer with numbers of starts and and consents. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've just I've just got a near current pipeline. Is, is it still accurate? Two hundred and fifty million GDV on the resi side. Yeah. yeah, obviously it's more on the on the hotel side, yeah. which is what we're we're branching into. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I think. Uh, for where we're developing at the minute, it's availability of stock. We're lucky we got in at the right stage in the cycle. Yeah. So we got in, you know, like like we were saying, sort of uh, 2014, 2015 to the proper development side. Mm. And um, it's now starting to get a lot more competitive. So it's good that we've got that name for ourselves. We've got that, you know, we're in we're in that area. So yeah. we are we do get deals. The brands out there. Yeah. 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 I mean, people people are not. a lot of kit as well. Just going back to your question before about spotting out the right deal as Ollie said it's no specific science but one of the points Ollie talked about is adding value and yep. for us as a developer like adding value is key mass- massively key you know if you can make your money on the land acquisition at the beginning and then add a shed load of value that's ideal yep. to give an example um, we just had our uh, agreement done with our rezoning of our plot in the Middle East and we'll get onto the Middle East in a bit yep. later but Give an example. We just had it rezoned from mixed use to hotel, hospitality, and leisure, and it's just added without doing anything about seven hundred thousand dollars to the value of the land, and we've done nothing. Fantastic. We've just changed a few words. Yeah. And before it used to be changing a bit of paper which had ten flats on, and what we did, we took the same size building, but we made the flat slightly smaller, and we cleverly redesigned it. And there you go. You've added, you know, like a couple of million quid mm. or half a million quid. And that's what it's all about. It's all about. And you've previously done this, and you're specialists at doing that. Yeah, I mean, four years ago, four and a half, four and a half years ago, our first proper development as Magna was six flats. We bought an office building that only anyone could squeeze four flats into, and we sat and we looked at it and we looked at it and we looked at it and we sat and I drew it. I drew it as a 3D box on a board, mm. and I said, if we took take the stairwells and we turn them on the half landings 90 degrees down into the flats. We could make the flats minimum size at just over 30 square metres, make them all one bedroom flats, and we could have a half landing entrances on all the corridors, which basically nobody had thought about, and we got another two flats out of it. We probably so added, added, added value added another probably right? 600 grand to the development, which meant we could buy it and turn it from a crappy office into a nice set of flats. Mm. You know, that was like one of our first deals, and that was like, you know, you got to sit there and you know, when you've got a problem presented to you, like, what, what can I do with it? How can we how can we work it out? How can we have value? Yeah. So that's always the way you got to look at things. Which is good. So just just another question. Um, great answers and, and, and going back to how, how the commuter belt's changed in the last five years. You've said that um, things have dried up slightly. What What's the pipeline, the project pipeline looking like for longevity for people that want to work with you? In uh, terms of investors, property investors that... Are looking to put their money, lend money to developers. Um, you know what? What? What's your pipeline like? Have we, you got a lot? Have you, you got can, a lot there? Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's a two. It's a twofold answer, really. Okay. Because we are still developing in commuter belt towns. Yep. Um, but just going back to the cold commuter belt as a whole, yep. I think uh, commuter belt has definitely over the last few years been one of the safer places to de- be developing. Yeah. Reasons being, it's lower entry mm. in terms of value. Mm. So. Can people buy a twenty million pound house in Belgravia? No, not everybody. Yeah. But most people are more likely to buy a two hundred to three hundred grand flat or start a home, right? Okay, which yeah. is still really nice because one thing about our stuff, the product is really, really high quality. Yeah, I've seen them. So it's I'm a London spec with marble, good. and you know, if it hasn't got marble on a lower spec, it's got a marble substitute. It's very, very nice quality. 
Um, so there's that. So it's more of an affordable area to be developing in. Plus, you've got the government pumping money into the help to buy scheme. So you can start one of our flats with, say, a 12 grand deposit, yep. you know, seven grand deposit on the studios. You know, that's like credit card money almost uh, with the government's help to buy incentive and a proper mortgage. So for us, the commuter belt makes sense because it's easier to get into and buy, for one. Um, but talking about op- actual opportunities, there are still opportunities there. What we're faced with at the minute, and we have done for the last eight months, is the land market really is still very overheated and the sales market is starting to come down. Obviously, London's been overheated for yeah. about 12, end of 12, 13, 14, 15. London's really started cooling off, especially Central Prime. It's now obviously rippled out and commuter belt is kind of going a bit more of a sideways market. It's not dropping terribly, but it's, it's staying very kind of flat. But land prices are increasing. Also, construction costs are increasing as well. So you're looking at doing a smaller development, plus there's less availability, and you've got more people thinking, oh, I can just become a permitted development office to resi developer because yeah. they've been on a weekend course for five minutes and they know nothing about developing. You know, They've been printing T-shirts their whole life, now they're going to become a developer. <laughs> so there's a lot of people going in there, uneducated, going and buying stuff for silly prices. You're, you're, you're correct, and you this know? is one thing that I'm going to talk about um, on, on, the, on the next episode is, is how you identify and how we identify what developers to team up with because yeah, yeah. As, as you just said there's so many developers out there at the minute or there's so many so-called developers out there at the moment yeah. that want fundraising in the way that we do it but haven't got no skin in the game and, and never risked yeah. anything themselves. So, so I mean just, just to answer going back to what you asked for about future pipeline and for investors to work with us so we, we've taken a pragmatic stance which is we're looking at the UK and saying mm. right where in the UK is still a safe bet what, let's not push water uphill. So what are we trying to do? What's the government trying to do? Right, they want a massive push into private rented sector housing, okay? Yep. So we've tied up a couple of big sites, which are gonna be 150 minimum up to about 300 unit blocks, big yep. blocks, tall buildings in places where they want tall buildings, right? So that would be an asset where we'd actually refinance that asset and hold that asset, okay? So that's a long-term hold, which is going in line with what the government actually wants to do. Yep. And what a lot of the institutional lending and pension funds and insurance funds actually want to less mo- invest money into. On the other side of things, we're looking at the whole global economy on a macro scale and we're saying, right, what other parts of the world are having really, really good boosts in the real estate market, the investment market, and obviously the tourism market as we now move into it? And we're looking at different areas to invest in, hence we've obviously gone out to the Middle East and we're yep. looking out into the Cayman Islands. So we're looking at we're looking at two different further sectors, plus we're looking at to other parts of Europe as well. The the issue we've got is we've got the big damp cloud hanging over our head, which is Brexit. Yeah. Uh, many many listeners are probably have either been affected by or certainly well know the ins and outs of the uh, kind of disaster we have of trying to carry out our Brexit. Yeah. So as a company, Magna Global is saying right. Let's look at a stance where we've got our stuff in the UK that can be as safe as it can be, yeah. and let's also look further afield to look at new emerging uh, countries which do have the developed political mechanics and systems to go yeah. into and develop easily. And we're not going to a third world country and saying let's go and build housing, and then you realise that the laws are written in another language. Both countries we're currently moving into are both run under English common law, and you know the same kind of practices that would be used to here. Moving on to that, obviously the, the Middle East and, and the Dubai market is something that, that I want to talk to you guys about because obviously you've got a white hot desire, you've you've spoke about that piece of land, you've, you've added value. Um, a quick question, has, has the Middle East and the Dubai market reached its, its pinnacle? I mean, there's been a lot of money made in Dubai. Depends what sector you're in. 
Okay. So I think for residential, yeah. I think to get into the residential market in Dubai now it would be difficult. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of supply. There's a lot of really, really good developers like Emar and Aziz and yeah. uh, Damak. Um, yeah. And to try and compete with them and their sales forces, I think would be pretty bold. Yeah. Um, so that's why we are we are going into hotels, hospitality. Okay. Now, as a percentage, the number of hotel rooms in the UAE, as a percentage, is very small compared to other developed countries, you know, more developed countries like um, the UK, mm. Europe, and America. Um, so the number of, if you're talking about the number of beds and the desirability for you know, um, ho- holidays in Dubai and, and that region. Oh, yes. There's Everyone wants to be there, doesn't There's it? 100% room for growth. I mean, you, you, all you've got to do is go on Instagram for five minutes and you, <laughs> you will not not see a picture of Dubai. No. It's impossible. Yeah. Um, so I it's think... It's the for, place. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's the place to be. It's, it, there's also a few barriers to entry, which I like. Yeah. Um, you know, there's not that much readily available finance, which means that... You know, just for your average guy to go and do it, it's not going to happen. You need to have contacts and you need good backing, which is one thing we have. Um, but I'd say, you know, that any any sort of new market you're entering, whether it's in the UK or abroad, you've got to know what you're doing and you've got to research it and know your ins and outs. And that's why, you know, we talk about adding value on each site, but actually when you look on a macro level, as Chris said, there is ways to add value by just going into markets that are growing. Yeah. So that, that, that's, that's that's really my my take on 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 the Middle East and the Dubai market as well. You know, property out there, um, it's probably a good time to buy because you've got some some cheap property out there. I would have thought, but you get some discounts. The sector sure. that you're yeah. you're looking to target is a completely different sector to to the normal buy to let market or, or yeah. The buy. It's, it's it's also rich. We're not looking at doing uh, development traditionally where you buy, build, sell, sell, put your profit in your pocket and yeah. clear off. You know, the whole business model we've designed over the last, I'd say probably the last 18 months we've been working on the evolution of Magna yeah. because we are about retaining big uh, income producing fixed assets. So okay. we get our capital growth and we get our, and we get our income, income derived well. yield off it as well. So looking at the hospitality sector, when you just look at Dubai as a, as a micro economy, in terms of the bigger picture, in terms of that part of the world, yeah. Turkey's going through a political crisis and major instability. We've had multiple problems with uh, Egypt and Tunisia and Algeria and all that part of the top part of North Africa, where a lot of Germans and Russians and people from uh, Central Europe and people from the UK would say, oh, it's October, I need a quick blast of sunshine, I'm going to jump on a package holiday for 500 quid or 500 mm. euro. I'm going to pop over there. Well, that isn't available anymore. So where'd you go? Another hour on the plane takes you all the way to to Ras El Khaimah or Dubai. You know, yeah. And that's why we're seeing a, a huge, huge increase in demand of people where they would holiday there before, and they say, well, look, I want the same thing. You can go there. Better weather, better beaches, more heat, and it's Very an extra safe. hour on the plane. Very, Very safe. safe. Dubai, the World Economic Forum in 2017 rated the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, yeah. the second safest place in the world to live. I don't really want to say what position England was, but it was uh, <laughs> it was very, very, very far down yeah. the list. Yeah, know? I agree. I mean, just just obviously for for the listeners and the subscribers, let's let's go over what you've just launched. You know, you we, we've had a good chat um, from where you've come from, where you started, to how you met, to to obviously working on building sites, then producing this global brand, which is Magna Group, now branching out to to bigger and, and better things. 
you mentioned earlier on it was tough to raise capital you need to learn that way you've just put a mechanism mechanism in place which is a loan note for investors um don't want to go on about it too much because that's not what we're here to talk about which is the loan note but let, let's just give the, the listeners and the subscribers and property investors and people that are curious a little bit about it so if this loan note that you've produced what's the security so the security is securitized uh, twofold so firstly uh, the, the really robust piece which is we're giving our personal shares in our UK company as, as security okay so okay. that's basically the keys to our company if you like which obviously quite clearly see means everything to us it's yeah so you, you you've put your building. skin in the game Correct. so to speak yeah? yeah yeah we've put our neck on the block very okay. firmly to say right you know if that's a that's a very solid piece of security. Our business has been valued. It's been underwritten, and their security is held by a proper trustee. So it's, okay. all, it's, it's all secure. Secondly, uh, any project that we invest any of the loan note monies into has a debenture granted over it, which is okay. uh, basically a, like a first piece of legal security that sits over that company, that special purpose vehicle company that goes and carries out a development uh, piece of work. Okay. So twofold. So people are getting a security against the company that we go and do the project in, and also over ourselves. Uh, so there's two. So you'd say there's two layers of security. Two layers. Uh, yeah, what we call the belt and the braces. Yeah. You know, we've given it both. And the term is an 18 month term. Yeah, it's an 18 percent over 18 months. Correct. Yeah, very simple. We just kept the maths nice and simple. Minimum 10 grand in. Yeah. So it's 10 grand, one percent per calendar month, rolled to the end. So at the end, you put 10,000 pounds in, you get that back, okay. and you get 1,800 pound of interest. And what we're finding recently as well, it's popular because what's happened over the UK property investment market is yeah. a lot of investors are saying actually I, I could have put 10, 20, 30 grand into a buy to let yeah. but I've got all of the mortgage regulation headaches so I've got no mortgage relief on my tax breaks and allowances and the whole thing's just an absolute you know, pain in the arse to be honest yeah. so we find a lot of people are switching to alternative investments into bonds, mini bonds, loan notes yeah. different debt instruments where they can, they can get in, be in there for a year two years, five years get much better returns than they'd have got on property with yeah. the same kind of security without any headache not becoming the next landlord and changing yeah. the light bulb. Be a lender, not the landlord. E exactly, know? yeah. And then they get they get their return. And also they can say we can put some money here, there, with a few different people. Yeah. So Okay, well, th th that's enough to, to speak about that. The security is what I talk about to, to anybody that I talk about property investing, alternative properties. Um, what I would say to any subscriber, listeners, property investors, entrepreneurs that want to find out any more details about the Magna Loan Note, um, www.hjinvest.com. Speak to one of my team. They can brief you, explain to you the security in more depth. If you are serious and, and, and you, you want to look at it in more detail, we can always set something up for you to speak to the guys from Magna directly as well. Um, guys, it's been great having you on. Just a couple of more questions before we finish up. Um, more just about you personally, some questions personal. So from a business sense, what, what scares you the most in business? What, what, what do you class as the most scariest thing that you, you see on a day-to-day -day basis? Incompetence. Other people's incompetence, and okay. and you know we're we're always working on ourselves. So yeah, you know um, I'm certainly not perfect, but it's uh, for us it's uh, the scary thing is uh, making sure that the people that you've got working under you and the people you're doing business with are legitimate and are good. Yeah, and they're not incompetent people because in the early days, you know, Chris and I are quite trusting people. We trusted a few people we probably shouldn't have done, mm. um, and you know at the end of the day, we're we're at the top of the tree. And we need to make sure that everyone underneath us and that all the companies we're associating with are, you know, very, very good companies. So we, we, we demand the best, really. 
great great bit of advice what, one other question before we, we wrap up maybe for you Chris best piece of advice that you could that you've been given so the best piece of advice that's been given to you so uh, an experienced developer once told me in my early days a developer never went bust taking a profit <laughs> okay so you know if you can get an easy win and you can actually get in there get a return for your investors yeah. number one who've securitized you're looking after you've got to keep a good faith in the market you know of who you are get in make a profit and get out you know Okay. Can I add one more? Yeah, of course you can. So the late great Irvine Seller, uh, Irvine Seller, said to us when we met him uh, about what was it? About a year ago now? Year two, or two? two years. Two yeah. years ago, time yeah. flies. Um, he said to us, "Have the post mortem before the death," <laughs> right? Which yeah. is fitting. So yeah. you know, um, but that is so important for us. You know, we, we look like I said. Where do we add value? How can we add value? What is the worst case scenario? Yeah. What happens if you know it doesn't work out? What's our base case? How can we you know keep our our money and our investors' money safe? Yeah. You know if if the worst does happen. So we always that's how we approach deals. Good, good. Last question from me, guys, before we finish up. Just just going on to to you, Chris. The the family background that comes with the Madeline family. What what is that? We we've been asked and we've spoke about Roger Madeline, Gary Madeline. Um, how influential are they on on your decision making? How influential are they on what you've done? Can can you let the listeners subscribers know? Yeah, sure. So uh, so Gary Madeline's my my father. Okay. So obviously father figure. Uh, you know, took me on building sites when I was uh, when I was. Taught you everything for, you know. Fair to say. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> took, took me on took me on site when I was four years old with, with my toy digger and toy dump truck. I suppose. <laughs> You know, played in the mud. Uh, but no, my, my dad worked uh, as a quantity surveyor, trained QS, and he actually, funny enough, got my uncle his first ever job uh, at okay. a, a construction firm called Carl Stewart. And my uncle uh, is actually a, uh, sort of a well esteemed uh, property professional now. Yep. He's uh, headed up one of the uh, UK's largest private development companies. Uh, but he's worked his way through the construction industry. My dad's worked his way all the way through, um, and he's like a project or bid manager now. He's worked at the big firms like Balfour Beatty, uh, he's now a consultant for Mace. Uh, my uncle actually was the chief executive officer of Argent Group. Uh, he's responsible for doing the Brindley Place scheme in Birmingham, yeah. a lot of stuff in Manchester, and also developing the 66-acre site in Kings Cross. He's now across the water in uh, Canada Water, uh, been headhunted by British Land running that scheme. But you know, I was with him the other day, and uh, you know, I spent a lot of time with my uncle and my dad talking yeah. about the market where we are. They're both uh, they're both heavy on their on their risk, you know, and saying you know just make sure you trade carefully, yeah. make sure you've explored all of the options, and, and give you some good advice, good to have yeah, them yeah. kind of people yeah. around you, been there, definitely, done it, definitely, yeah, and also like for Ollie and I, you know, like we're meeting up with uh, Roger in a few weeks, going yeah. to see Canada Water. It's like, you know, having someone there who's really really well connected, knows all the right people in the political departments and stuff. It's it's a good person to have, you know, go and bounce some ideas off as well. Yeah. Say look. You know, we're looking at building a twenty-floor building. What was it like when you were doing one? Yeah. You go, oh yeah, well I've done this, I've done that. You know, watch out for this. Have you thought about that exit? Have you thought about that financing? You know, and it's yeah. and, and it's a really good thing to have, definitely. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, thanks for that. Look, guys, thanks for coming coming over. It's been great having you here. Just just to to go over it again, guys. We've got Chris and Oliver from Magna Group. Um, they specialise in converting office space to to residential and now branching into the Middle East. Um, got some great projects as I said want to find anything out out about them um, visit magnaglobal.com or speak to one of my team at Hunter Jones uh, we'll be happy to assist you for now that's episode 4 over with from many talks look forward to speaking to you all again soon so for now what I want to do is thank you for listening subscribe 
leave a review. Look forward to speaking to you on the next podcast with some exciting guests coming our way.